Pushkin. Chase for Business and iHeart bring you a new podcast series called The Unshakables. This one-of-a-kind series will shine the spotlight on small business owners like you who faced a do-or-die moment that ultimately made their business what it is today. Learn more at chase.com slash business slash podcast. Chase, make more of what's yours. Chase mobile app is available for select mobile devices. Message and data rates may apply. J.P. Morgan Chase and a member FDIC 2024 J.P. Morgan Chase and Co. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. This is Solvable. I'm Ronald Young Jr., What do you get when you put a behavioral scientist in a room with policymakers? Every program and policy has a default design that will influence people one way or the other. If that behavioral scientist is Maya Shankar, you may get an analysis of how our complicated human minds impact our participation in government programs. We are influenced by some very surprising factors that ought to not influence our decisions, but absolutely do. Effective government policies are tricky things to get right. To begin with, there's lobbying and then rigorous debate around whether a policy or program should exist at all. That's followed by, as we've seen recently, a lot of argument about how much money to spend. But once the budget has been settled and the money allocated to federal programs, there's the important step of designing programs that truly serve the people and reach them. And that's where studying human behavior can help. Small changes can be the difference between successful engagement or a low participation rate. So the government ended up leveraging an insight known as the, you know, the power of defaults. And basically, it changed the school lunch program from an opt-in program to an opt-out program. The National School Lunch Program reaches nearly 30 million children each year. Thanks to smart, sometimes seemingly subtle changes like these, Millions more Americans may be making the most of government programs, from farmers to veterans to college-age students. Behavioral science is the study of how and why we make decisions, as well as how we develop our attitudes and beliefs about the world. Maya Shankar is the host of the podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, and she founded the White House's behavioral science team, serving as an advisor during the Obama administration to help develop strategy and implement government policies by studying behavioral factors that influence decision-making. Better implementation of government policy is solvable with the help of behavioral science.
I think if you'd asked me as a little kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? I would have definitely not said cognitive scientist because I had no idea what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was actually a violinist growing up. That was my passion. Um, I started playing when I was six years old and I really got on the speed train when I was nine and started studying at the Juilliard School of Music in New York. And then um, when I was a teenager, Itzhak Perlman asked me to be his private violin student. And so at that point, I thought, wow, I've gotten a vote of confidence from the person I think is the best violinist in the world. I might actually have what it takes. Very unfortunately, I had a sudden injury in my left hand that basically ended my career overnight when I was 15. So how did you make the pivot from violinist to behavioral scientist? I was forced to explore other avenues and other paths in that summer um, before college when I was I was supposed to be touring in China uh, with my friends, Ronald, and instead I was helping my parents clean their basement. So equally cool summer situation. You know um, it. <laughs> but I ended up discovering a book on how the mind works. I remember thinking, oh my gosh, I I had no idea just how complicated our mental systems are and what goes behind our ability to make decisions and learn language and, you know, interact with the world in the way that we do. And that was just a light bulb moment for me where I realized, I think this is what I want to do. I think this is what I, I want to study because I felt completely in awe of the human mind. And you did it. You went through a lot of schooling to immerse yourself in this stuff. You studied with esteemed cognitive psychologist Lori Santos at Yale, also a Pushkin co-worker, uh, went on to get a Ph.D. and do a postdoc and join the ranks in academia. But after a number of years involved with the research side of things, you realized that you didn't love it. You know, it was like an oh expletive moment. Um, what do I do next? And I actually ended up calling up my undergrad advisor and I called her and I said, Laurie, so I know I've been doing this whole, you know, want to be a professor thing for some time because I really admire you, but I actually don't want to do that anymore. Um, I'm thinking of becoming a general management consultant. And Laurie, you could hear a light gasp on the other phone, namely, oh, no, I did not invest all this time into my student for her to leave my field. Um, and so she said, OK, she was very gentle. Um, before you explore that path, Maya, I just want to let you know that there is incredible work happening in the Obama White House right now that is helping low-income kids get access to free lunch. But there's no actual job that they're hiring for. There's no, they're not like, yeah, we want to hire a behavioral scientist. So I end up sending a cold email to a former Obama advisor, Cass Sunstein. And I say, hey, Cass, like I'm Maya. I'm a postdoc. I have no public policy experience and I've published nothing of significance, but I'd really love uh, to work at the intersection of behavioral science and policy. Thankfully, he you know, ignored all the insecurities seeping out of my email and immediately got back to me and said, let me connect you with Obama's science advisor and let him know that I sent you along. And so within days, Ronald, like this was a crazy life change for me. I was interviewing with Obama officials pitching them on the idea of creating a new position for me in which I could translate insights about human behavior into the design of public policy. So I packed up my bags and I moved to D.C. And, you know, I started my my job at the White House at the beginning of Obama's second term. Can you talk a little bit about what behavioral factors are, what that looks like, and give a few examples on, on um, how that played into the work that you actually did? Behavioral science is the study of how and why we make decisions, as well as how we develop our attitudes and beliefs about the world. And the reason why this field is so important in the context of public policymaking is that 
it reveals that we are influenced by some very surprising factors that ought to not influence our decisions, but absolutely do, sometimes outside of our conscious awareness. So let me give you a concrete example. I think we'd all like to believe that we go, when we go into a voting booth, we'll end up voting for the person we'd most like to see elected into office, right? That's pretty common sense. But research shows that the order in which the candidates' names appear on a ballot can exert a significant influence on our voting behavior. And so when public policymakers become aware of this bias, they can in turn design a solution, namely to randomize the order in which the candidates' names appear across ballots. When you don't appreciate that these factors are actually informing decisions, then you might be engaging in suboptimal policy design. Um, So my intention joining the White House was to make sure that we were designing public policies with our best understanding of human behavior in mind. So talk a little bit about the work you did in those early days of the second Obama administration. How did you figure out which policies needed the help of behavioral science? I was knocking on every single door saying, you know, what problems are you already trying to solve? Now let me brainstorm how the tools in my toolbox can help you achieve those goals. So a good example of this is uh, in an early meeting, I met with the Department of Veterans Affairs, and they had built out this program that was trying to help veterans reacclimate to civilian life after their time overseas. And that transition as you might know, can be very challenging and fraught with lots of struggles. We ended up changing just one word in an email marketing message about the program. Instead of telling veterans that they were eligible for the program, we simply reminded them that they had earned it through their years of service. And that one word change led to a 9% increase in access to the veterans program. And it was based on a behavioral science insight called the endowment effect, which basically says that we value things more when we feel that we own them or have earned them. And that, again, led to a groundswell of activity and excitement for this work. Maya, do you think that your work is a result of of suboptimal policy making or suboptimal policy enacting? So the policies themselves were fantastic, but there was a there was an implementation gap, right? We weren't thinking about accessibility, availability of the program, what it means in real life to engage with the government in this way. Another name that they had for your team was the nudge unit. And when I read that, I was like, I don't want to be nudged. I'm not trying to be nudged in any direction, especially when it comes uh, to the government. But you talking about it being about policy implementation kind of makes me understand it a little bit more. But what would you say to detractors that say, I don't like this policy, I don't want to be nudged into doing it, and now they're using government science trickery in order Mm. to get me to do it? I don't feel good about that. How would you respond to those folks? Yeah, well, first I would say there's no default list state of the world. And what I mean by that is every program and policy has a default design that will influence people one way or the other. If you're a veteran and you're asked to fill out a burdensome application form that requires referencing 15 different resources, well, that's a default too. That's a nudge Mm -hmm. too, right? And chances are those requirements are nudging veterans away from accessing a program that could actually be in their benefit. But nudges will not work for people who don't want to take the action. An example of this is, you know, sending an email reminder about enrolling in a retirement savings plan will make a difference for a military service member who wants to enroll but just needs a reminder. 
it will not make a difference for someone who doesn't want to enroll. Because, for example, Mm -hmm. they want to use the money to make a down payment on a home or they just want the disposable income. So I think it's really important for listeners to understand behavioral science is not a silver bullet, right? It helps to enable people to reach their long-term goals who are seeking that long-term goal, um, but it will not make a difference for those who don't want in. As listeners to this show, you probably consider yourself pretty smart. But how smart is your wallet? When you're looking to upgrade your wallet, it's time to turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds has the financial smarts to help you find the right financial products for you. Before NerdWallet, you might have paid for vacations with whatever was in your wallet. But you could have been missing out on miles you didn't even know you were leaving on the table. Now you can get a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? A hotel upgrade? Lounge access? Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. So how do you decide that your approach is helping enough people to bother doing it? Leadership in government uh, and in the White House put in a lot of effort to figure out, you know, what are our goals for this year? And we wanted to make sure that we were responding to those goals and we were leveraging what we knew from behavioral science to help them achieve those goals more effectively. So this might involve helping student loan borrowers repay their loans in a more effective way or understand what their options are, or helping farmers get access to loans with the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And then we would also look at other factors. How many people are we going to be able to help through this project, right? Are we are we operating in the millions? Because if so, yes, that makes a lot of sense for us to work on. And then we also wanted to make sure that the outcome that we were trying to change was significant from a policy perspective. So 
things like helping workers find jobs, getting more people to sign up for clean energy plans or health insurance. These are all outcomes that are of huge significance. Some of the policy solutions I've read about, which come from studying human behavior, kind of sound like common sense. Talking to students, telling them to sign up for class by text message, having the opt-in program or the opt-out program. Do you think that it's necessary to have a government team dedicated to behavioral science for these policy tweaks to actually be implemented? Like, I'm imagining if I'm a member of Congress and I'm looking at this line item for this team, I'm wondering, do we need a whole team to carry out little tweaks like this? Yeah. So I think one is, you know, some of these insights can absolutely seem like common sense after the fact, but the reality is that they weren't being implemented in our absence. And it's also important to note that behavioral science is is a very context-specific space to work in. Not all insights will work in all areas. And you need trained behavioral scientists in order to make the right prescriptions, right, to design meaningful experiments to teach us what is working in what context. In the ideal world, some decades from now, it would be amazing if our team was rendered obsolete because agencies were just hiring the relevant people with the relevant skill sets to do this work as a matter of course, just just good government. That is the goal, to drive yourself out of existence. But at the time, and it continues to be the case today because the team is, is very much still around in the Biden administration uh, and was around during the Trump administration doing great work to help, you know, on topics like the opioid epidemic and, and wildfires and whatnot. Um, it's important to sometimes have these dedicated teams that are exclusively focused on the particular goal of translating human behavioral insights into public policy improvements, because otherwise it's too easy for it to get ignored. How do we apply these ideas when there's not a dedicated office? Like, how would state and localities apply some of these principles? Well, the nice thing is actually there's been a flurry of activity in in state and local government in which nudge units are are sprouting. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. So lots of uh, state and local governments now have their own nudge units or they are using insights from behavioral science. But there's no one-size-fits-all approach with behavioral science. You can't just say, oh, here are my favorite 10 insights. Let me just apply them to all the policies and programs. There there is a rigorous science behind it, and and you need to make sure that you do have experts um, who who are looking at those optimal translations. Is there anything our listeners can do if they want to, if they, they're listening to this and they're like, man, I want more science in government. I want to <laughs> inject more. Uh, what do you, what can they do to help if they want to be a part of this now? So I would say like the Bible of behavioral science and policy is this book called Nudge. And actually, Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein, the authors of this book, came out with a final edition version just recently. It actually references the work that's happened in the UK and the United States to try to increase the translation of behavioral science into policy. So I would send listeners to that book first and foremost. On my podcast, A Slight Change of Plans, I had a chance to interview some science experts where we talk about the science behind changing people's minds with with folks like Adam Grant, um, The Science of Behavior Change with Dr. Katie Milkman. And I would point folks to those specific episodes because I think it's a really nice primer for where the science is at right now uh, when it comes to human behavior. Maya, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Ronald. It was so much fun to chat with you. Dr. Maya Shankar is the founder of the White House's behavioral science team. She served as a senior advisor in the Obama White House. In 2016, Shankar served as the first behavioral science advisor to the United Nations under Ban Ki-moon. 
She's also the host of A Slight Change of Plans, another great Pushkin podcast. You should check it out. It's available everywhere you listen. Solvable is produced by Jocelyn Frank. Research by David Ja. Booking by Lisa Dunn. Special thanks to Kishel Williams. Our managing producer is Sasha Mathias. And our executive producer is Mia LaBelle. I'm Ronald Young Jr. Thanks for listening. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored among some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited time 2% cash back on purchases and pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.